Welcome to Leaders of the West, a podcast for innovators and changemakers. I'm your host, Jesse Jarvis, the founder of Of the West, and I'm sitting down with agriculturalists, entrepreneurs, executives, and everyone in between with the goal of digging into the strategies, mindsets, and lessons that have been crucial to the success of ag and Western. Whether you're carrying on the next generation of your family's operation, starting something from scratch, or determined to climb up the leadership ladder, we're going to inspire you to continue to dream big, growing not just you, but the future of agriculture and Western as a whole. Let's go. Welcome to today's episode of Leaders of the West. Today, I am sitting down with Mary Heffernan, the one of four Marys behind five Marys. And I typically don't read biographies. However, when I don't read biographies, people usually don't do themselves justice. And I will tell you that Mary and her husband, Brian, are a force to be reckoned with in the ag world. So I am going to read her bio just so that you guys can get a really good glimpse of who they are. So Mary and her husband, Brian, of Five Marys Farms, spent years in the business world in Silicon Valley before becoming cattle ranchers almost 10 years ago, alongside their four daughters, all named Mary. In the mountains of Northern California is where they live. Mary has started over 20 small businesses in different industries and shares her knowledge about building a business from scratch with other entrepreneurs through her business courses. Mary has authored two cookbooks and is focused on building businesses around the heart of the ranch, including Five Mary's Burger House, M5 Ranch School, M5 Entrepreneurs Academy, Five Mary's Custom Meats, and more which is exactly what we are going to be talking about today. I know a lot of our listeners are people who they're actively involved in their farms or their ranches, but they also feel called to do more. And they also wonder, how am I going to do it all and do it well? And if there are two people who are doing it all and doing it well, it is Mary and Brian. So Mary, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for such a nice introduction, Jesse. I'm really excited to be on your podcast today. Oh, well, I tell you what, there were no there were no lies involved. You are every every one of those words. <laughs> Thank you. To get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the journey that led you and Brian to become ranchers? For sure. So my husband, Brian, and I are both sixth generation Californians and agriculture runs deep in our blood for, you know, the the many generations who came before us. But we, I did not grow up in agriculture. I grew up in the suburbs of the Bay Area that's now known as Silicon Valley. That's a very different place than when I grew up. My dad was a lawyer. You know, I had heard stories about my grandparents and great grandparents who were apple farmers and worked in the strawberry fields, but I wasn't raised in it. My husband's dad was a farmer uh, in Southern California and Tehama County, but farming row crops is very different than raising animals. So my husband and I were entrepreneurs. He was also a lawyer in Silicon Valley. We'd started a number of different small businesses. I love to see an opportunity and jump on it, you know, find that need and and fill it. And so we had done that with a number of small businesses. We accidentally became restaurateurs. Never open a restaurant. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. <laughs> it's so much work until you really jump into ranching and then you learn that ranching is even more work. But restaurants are really hard. I say accidental restaurateurs because we wanted to create a place where parents could feel welcome bringing their kids for good quality food, beer and wine, you know, a place where the kids could play and parents could relax. And so our concept was to build kind of a clubhouse 
And we thought, hey, we're here in the heart of Silicon Valley. There's so many good restaurants. We'll find somebody to cater in the food. We don't have to worry about that. And then the health department comes in and says, you need a whole commercial kitchen to do this. Pretty soon we said, well, we might as well just hire a chef. We literally opened the first day and said, what have we done? We just opened a breakfast, lunch, and dinner restaurant seven days a week, and we have no idea what we're doing. So after a lot of trial and error learning curve, we had opened a second restaurant and they were doing well. You know, we kind of figured out what we were doing to an extent, but we were really passionate about the quality of the food that we served. One thing Brian and I both grew up with are families who love to entertain and love to cook really good food and finding it from the source. You know, that was one thing I think I got from my grandfather was driving home to, you know, by his friend's field and jumping out of the car to cut a couple heads of lettuce with his pocket knife to take home for dinner. So we became really passionate about finding and sourcing really good quality beef. And we kind of made it our mission for a year looking at like, how do we serve the perfect burger? You know, we want meat that's raised well, that, you know, has the whole story behind it, but is a really great quality to start with. And we'd worked with a number of small farms and there were a lot of challenges for small farms. You know, they couldn't produce what we needed year round. They didn't have a butcher who could dry age for us. They didn't have the resources to do a finish ration. You know, we finish on barley and believe that that gives a great marbling. So we backed into, we know the kind of beef we want to serve our customers and our family. Where do we find it? And when we couldn't find it on the scale we needed, we totally naively said, you know what, we're just going to do this ourselves. We found this ranch at a deal. It had been through a succession issue. It was a dilapidated ranch. There was some hair on the deal, but luckily Brian was a real estate attorney. So he's like, this doesn't scare me. We found land that had good water and we knew we could raise cattle on. It was six hours north of where we were living. And we said naively, this will be great. We'll go up there on the weekends. We'll get a manager to manage, manage the ranch for us while we're gone. We'll go back to our suburban entrepreneurial lives in the Bay Area during the week. Sounded like a great plan. Totally didn't work. We get, would be on the ranch and working so hard and like, we can't leave. There's too much to do. And we don't really want to just hire someone to take care of these cattle. Like we want to be the ones out here together as a family raising these cattle. And conversely, you know, we'd be up here and the hood would go down in the restaurant and there'd be a huge problem back in our other life. And we, after literally six weeks, it was like the shortest time period we were leaving the ranch on Sunday night with four little girls in car seats and looked at each other and said, we don't feel like we're going home. We feel like we're leaving home to try to maintain these two lives. We have to make a decision. Which which life do we pick? And it was the easiest decision we've ever made. We said, we're all in. We want to be cattle ranchers. We want to do this right. And it was the hardest unwind <laughs> to literally unwind this life we'd built, sell these businesses, close Brian's Law Practice sell our pretty suburban house that we'd worked so hard for to move into a 760 square foot cabin with six people, no electricity. Well, we had electricity, but no heat, no appli real appliances that worked, <laughs> no amenities. But we made the jump and we saw that this was really an important thing for our family. And we loved this time together and the satisfaction of falling into bed at the end of a hard day's work knowing that we were doing something we were passionate about in, in ranching. That is such an inspiring story. So for anybody out there who might be a listener who is a first-generation rancher or farmer or somebody who is saying, man, I am so inspired by this lifestyle, but I, I wasn't born in it. I don't know how to get involved. 
keep listening because obviously Brian and Mary are both those people. They have started from the ground up and they have built something so inspiring. But in addition to that, I want to talk about you and Brian currently have a number of very successful businesses other than the ranch and your direct to consumer meat sales. So can you give us a brief explanation of each of those? So when we, you know, jumped in as first generation ranchers with a dilapidated ranch that needed everything, hay barns, fencing, tractors, silos, livestock, we knew we were going to we were getting in deep and we were going to need to find a way to start making money while we funded this operation, you know, when you start from nothing, there's a there's a lot that goes into that. And so we've always been scrappy and, you know, like I said, a little opportunistic. So we thought, well, what are some ways that we can make a side income? Because we're just leaving all these businesses and our income behind in the Bay Area. What can we do from this rural town of 600 to help us fund this operation? And so we did a lot of different kind of scrappy things. We started hosting workshops and retreats on the ranch. We built a little outdoor kitchen and had outdoor tents, kind of glamping style. So we'd invite people to come experience the ranch and stay here and buy our meat. I learned a lot about parenting by moving to this ranch by necessity. All of a sudden, you know, I went from filling my kids sippy cups for them to saying, I got to go birth a cow. You need to cook dinner. I know you're seven, figure it out. So I learned a lot. And I think people saw that as we shared our story on Instagram. So I wrote a little ebook called like what I learned about parenting and raising my expectations of kids. We sold that. And then things just started to evolve. You know, Brian and I are kind of go big or go home people. And we saw that along with raising really good quality meat, there was a lot of opportunity to expand our brand into other things. So the old town bar came up for sale in town. And even though we said we are never doing a restaurant again, We opened up Five Mary's Burger House as a way to really grow our brand. You know, we love serving our community. We have live music every Friday night, but it it really helps to show people exactly what we do and why we do it. And it gives a destination spot. As any rancher knows, you can't just have people stopping by for a ranch tour as much as we'd love to entertain, you know, people who drive from all over to come experience Five Mary's. The restaurant gives a great stopping point for that. We do our own wine. We do our own whiskey and bourbon through Five Mary's Burger House. And then what we really saw was doing direct-to-consumer was going to give us the best margins for selling our meat. Wholesale was tough. Margins are tough. We knew to make this work, we needed to make the best margins possible a reality for this operation. And with the inputs we were putting in, you know, with barley finish and the dry aging, we needed to get the best price for our meat. So we started selling direct-to-consumer. And nine years ago, there weren't a lot of people doing this. So I didn't have somebody I could call and say like, hey, you know, what boxes are you using? How are you doing dry ice? Like, how are you getting your shipping rates down? UPS seems crazy. So I had to really trial and error it. And it took us a lot of time. It took us almost a year and a lot of money wasted on the wrong things until we finally kind of figured out the secret sauce of shipping frozen meat direct to consumers, building a website, doing all those things. So I started getting questions from other people like, hey, we want to do this too. How did you do it? Which I'm always happy to share. But, you know, on a a scalable, what I decided to do was put all of this knowledge, not only in how to sell and ship meat, but from the businesses that Brian and I had done in the past, we had learned so much about insurance and entity formations, LLCs versus S-Corps, how to start a website. 
I believe in being scrappy and that you can do anything yourself and that to be a successful entrepreneur, you really have to, not only because it's going to save you money, you should not be paying a website developer. You should not be paying somebody to make your logo for you. The internet has all these tools for us to do these things very easily, very quickly, and very cheaply. And by stretching yourself to say, okay, I'm going to make my own logo. This is out of my comfort zone, but I'm going to do it. Not only are you gaining those invaluable tools as an entrepreneur, you're saving your business a lot of money and money saved is money earned when you're an entrepreneur. So I created what we call M5 Entrepreneurs, and it is a full library of courses and workshops on every topic in small business. We have a lot of different speakers that we've had throughout the years added to the content. So it's not just me and Brian. And we have a community of over 3,000 people who are call themselves M5 entrepreneurs and are a part of this and can use this for a knowledge base and ask questions. We have an app. You can jump on your phone, ask a question, get answers as soon as you need them. So that's been really a rewarding part of kind of growing our brand and sharing what we've learned along this process. The other aspects of what we had to do to really make this all work are building our own butchery, our own USDA custom butchery. Didn't really want to do it. It was really daunting and something that took us probably six years of research and design and meeting with engineers and permitting and USDA. But about a year and a half ago, we built Five Mary's Custom Meat Co., which is a state-of-the-art dry aging and butchery facility. We have USDA inspectors there all day. We have a team of eight people full-time who take our meat, treat each cut with care, package each cut beautifully, and allow us to ship those direct to our customers. And then just this year, we finally built and opened our on-ranch harvest facility. So we are doing all of our own slaughtering on the ranch. The animals just walk right up from our, our finishing pens into a sorting pen. We pick 10 to 12 a week that are ready for harvest do five or six a day, two days a week. We have a great team of two, a father-son team with a free slub built mobile harvest unit and then a Temple Grandin designed animal handling facility. So you have to have a fixed facility, even though it's a mobile harvest van or a semi, but you know, regulations in California are, are some of the toughest. So we've kind of had to navigate like how, how to make all these things happen. But now that we've done that, we are fully integrated. We have control over all of these things for quality and timing, as a lot of ranchers know, especially in the past few years. Getting in with your processor is kind of the Achilles heel for all of us. So we are doing processing for ourselves as well as for other local ranches. And we try to make it as easy as possible for, you know, getting in animals last minute and being flexible because we've been on the other side and we know how hard that is. For those of you who are listening and didn't know who Mary and Brian were ahead of this, you guys see now why I invited them to be on the podcast because they truly are such a wealth of knowledge and have their hands in so many different areas of our industry, but do it very, very well. So let's go back to a time when you guys were focused solely on ranching. So before your other businesses had popped up, you had four young girls at the time. And I bring that up because I know that a lot of our listeners are in that same phase of life where you have what an 80 hour a week job on your farm or ranch, right? There's no such thing as 40 hours. You're very busy just as a farmer or rancher by themselves. Then you have kids. So you have kids that are busy too, but you also feel called to do more. What did that feel like in that moment? And did you guys ever hesitate to do more? How did all of that begin? You know, when the kids were little, it is, it's a hard season because they, 
there a lot of needs and you want to make sure that you're getting that quality time together as a family. I think we had a unique perspective because we came from more of a, you know, corporate entrepreneurial world where we spent a lot of time on our laptops and yeah, the kids would kind of be with us, but more as like a, you know, we were half watching them while we were half working. And what we found in ranching was, gosh, now we can really, our kids can work alongside with us. And, you know, my girls were 18 months to five when we moved here. And we kind of just like threw them in the gauntlet, like, okay, we're all going out to work cows, 18 month old, you know, you got to have something to kind of entertain you over here. Everybody else is going to work. And we just found ways to incorporate them into what we were doing. And we really found that was like, that built such strong bonds for our family. It takes a little bit more time. It can be frustrating. You're like, this is taking me twice as long because these kids are here. Like, wouldn't it be easier to just like hire a babysitter and my husband and I just come do this by ourselves? And yeah, sometimes (laughs) that is the right answer. But sometimes it's worth it to spend a little bit more time, especially in the beginning, because you're investing in your family as a unit and you're investing in your kids being really capable hands to help you. And, you know, there's the argument like your kids shouldn't have to work on the ranch. And I would say that is 100 percent false. Like your kids are so lucky to get to work on a ranch and to experience this. I mean, how many families come you know, visit any ranching operation and say, I wish my kids could have a lifestyle like this. And those kids might not even recognize it now. You know, they might be like, oh my gosh, it's hot. We're working hard. I don't love this. But they will look back on it and say, those were some of the most important parts of my life. And it builds really resilient kids. So putting that time and effort in into making them a part of what you're doing, it gives them such a sense of belonging, but also a sense of pride, you know, and that's big for Brian and I, Brian, he's working triple time sometimes to do things the right way. But he's like, I won't do it unless I'm proud of it. And I think the kids really feel the same way. They sometimes they like to invite their friends over for working cattle, you know, to like spice it up a little, have somebody new, new out there with us, because it's usually just the six of us. And the last two times they've done it, these poor girls who they invited, one of them, got sick and the other one passed out because it was it was hot and it was long and it was hard. But I'm like, you know what? I'm so proud of my girls because they have learned how to be capable and really able-bodied helpers for us. You know, we don't have to have ranch hands when we're out working our cows anymore because Francie and Maisie are sorting and JJ's pushing up the chute and Tessa's giving shots. And to know that it's not a big deal for them. You know, they they enjoy doing it. Nobody's fainting from heat exhaustion because they've, they've learned how to deal with this. I think that that's something that we're really proud of investing that time in and does pay off in the long run. Well, and your girls are also involved in your other businesses as well, correct? Yes, they are very helpful no matter what it is. You know, sometimes we'll go into the restaurant to been a long morning. We've been working cows all morning. We're ready for lunch. And we go in and they've gotten slammed. There's a lot of people there. The tables are full. The waitresses are overwhelmed. My girls jump right in, throw an apron on, bus tables, serve drinks, seat people. They they are really good at knowing like what needs to be done in the restaurant. Um, they help in my shop. They help pack boxes when we have busy days. They ring people up at the registers. They have to help entertain if we have guest stays on the ranch. They have learned that they are a part of the operation. 
And they've learned that they reap the rewards. You know, my girls do rodeo and they love doing rodeo, but rodeo is a time intensive, capital intensive sport. And they know that, you know, by being a part of this family and contributing to what we're doing, they get to do the things they love too. And we're fully supportive of that, you know, jumping on, jumping on the road to head to a rodeo. One of the things that really stands out in my mind about your businesses is that they all really fit in well with one another. There isn't something that is completely out of left field. Is that something that was planned? And do you think that that helps with each entity's success? I do. I think, you know, did we sit down nine years ago and say, okay, hey, this is our plan? Absolutely not. We were just talking about how the spreadsheet that we made when we first started for, you know, a business plan was such a joke and completely a failure. We kind of just adapt as we go, like what's working now, what's not working, where can we change some things? And I think these kind of business arms have really grown out of the needs that we see and kind of the the niches within our overall business. Some of them are a necessity. Did we want to open and own a butcher shop? No, a butchery, probably not. Is it a necessity for our business and does it help our brand? Yes, absolutely. So we kind of are always thinking big picture, but these other arms of our business that fit into what we're doing, you're right. They can't really come out of left field. I'm not going to start a business doing, you know, something that that isn't in line with our whole mission. But when we see something that's like, hey, you know, this this fits, we can kind of add this to everything that we're doing. And that does, there's a lot of synergy there. So it's not like, okay, I've got to spend 20% of my time on this business and this business and this business. And then, oh, there's this outlier. I got to make sure I, I do that one. When everything's kind of overlapping, you know, all of your marketing efforts and branding, it's all contributing sort of to the overall, the overall brand, the overall cause. And I think that really helps, you know, even like logo design, I'm not one of those like strict, like you have one logo and you have to make sure your branding is all perfect. I get like logo fatigue. I'm like, I'm bored of this one. We need to throw something else in here. So as you'll see, like we're, there's a lot going on on everything we do. But I think people have told me often, like whenever I see something that you do, I know it's you. I know it's Five Marys because everything sort of, it fits in our overall brand. You know, we don't, we always say like, you can't do awesome and cheap. We go for awesome. We want to make sure that people know, yes, our meats are expensive because we are only putting out things that are top notch. And so we make sure to do that across the board. You know, we do really amazing whiskey because it's the best whiskey we think that's out there. We could do it in volume a lot more with maybe a lesser whiskey, but we that really kills our brand if we have one thing that we don't believe is the best we can possibly put out there. So yeah, they they do overlap. And was it planned? No, but <laughs> I think more more thoughtfully executed as these these things came up. So one thing that I do want to continue to touch on there is earlier in our conversation, you mentioned that you guys have always been focused on solutions, right? And solving problems. I am a big believer in solution-based businesses, but how do you think that has played into your success? You know, Brian's favorite line is, if this were easy, everyone would do it. And then conversely, nothing's easy, but it's usually worth it. And I think that is a big thing, you know, especially in the agricultural world, big problems pop up daily, weekly, like things come up and you're like, oh my gosh, some people would say deal killer, end of the road, we're done. And you can't do that when you're raising animals. There's no off switch. You don't get to say we're done. 
So we kind of have to always just be looking for what the solution is, as every rancher and farmer does. You know, Brian came from the corporate lawyer world, and he said, I've never met smarter people than when I started working with ranchers and farmers. They know how to fix things. They know how to find solutions. They know how to get creative and say, okay, here's the roadblock. Here's what we're going to do. And I think that's really true in business. And that's what's going to separate people from being successful and saying, I'm going to try this and see if it works. But when they hit those roadblocks, they're like, I guess it didn't work. You know, for processing, we had to drive five hours round trip for a butcher for years and years to get our dry ice to ship. We had to drive three hours round trip just to get enough dry ice to put in a box. And in the beginning, it wasn't even worth it, you know, to ship five or 10 boxes. You're like, I just spent my entire day getting all these supplies But that's part of the solution that you are working on is like, okay, I need to create enough volume to make this work. And that doesn't happen overnight. And it doesn't happen easily. You have to do those steps and see the big picture and think, okay, this is going to be hard, but we're going to find a way to do it. And I think that that's something that we've really, Brian and I both focus on. You know, we almost rise to the challenge when we're like, wait, what? (laughs) What problem just arose? And let me tell you, working with the USDA, two different USDA facilities. We thought this was going to be great. Animals on the ranch, butchery in town. And then we're like, oh man, now we have not just one, but two USDA facilities. They're built for big packers. USDA laws are built for the four big packers. And here we are, this little tiny operation killing five to six beef a day. We'll have one to three USDA inspectors up there every day. And they they need job security. They have to find something that you have to fix. And so many of these problems, you're just like, what? But You can't just say, sorry, we're not going to do this. You say, all right, bring it on. (laughs) Let's let's figure out how to solve this problem because there is always a solution. Well, I think that is kind of what what the cowboy way is, right? Like never, (laughs) never stopping and never resting. But how has how has hiring played into the success of all of your ventures? Because obviously you and Brian, you guys have children that can be part of the workforce, but they can't just rely on your family solely. Got to be able to go to rodeos. <laughs> so we we only ha- we have a very lean operation, but we really believe that you want to hire people who are very capable. Maybe pay them a little more than trying to piece things together. We have two ranch hands. Neither of them were really familiar with livestock when we hired them, but they both have a lot of heart. They care about being a part of the bigger picture of what we're building here, and they're proud of what they do, and that really goes a long way. So we have two ranch hands on the ranch that just help us care for our animals, really. Our staff between the butchery, the harvest facility, the restaurant, my farm store, and we have a little retail shop in town. We have great people who tackle problems like we do. You know, if if you're ranching and you're spread thin and you're trying to do a lot of things and you have somebody who's like maybe a little timid to solve problems or just says, oh, sorry, like, I, I don't know what to do. Here's the problem you're going to drive yourself crazy. So we really are not micromanagers. We make sure to hire people who are confident and have problem-solving ability. And that really is more important than experience. You know, people who say, okay, I'm going to dive in and find a solution for this. We've found that we can we can train anybody to do most of these jobs, but we need people who care and we need people who are, are smart, thinking on their feet and give it their all. So We've made a lot of mistakes in hiring. The ranch hands, oh my gosh, my girls could write a book about the the stories of the ones who didn't work out. <laughs> and it's the same it's the same anywhere. I think hiring is one of the biggest challenges 
because you're trusting people with your brand and your business and you have to be lean and efficient and scrappy in small business. You know, there's no budget to say, oh, we're paying that person. They're doing an okay job. They have to be bringing a lot to the table for you to be putting that paycheck out there. And so we really work on finding those people that we know have the heart to be a part of this with us and can can help us run these businesses without needing kind of to be handheld. But they're hard to find. Oh, absolutely. So do you have any insight to help those who might be asking themselves where or who should I hire first? Because I know that that's a question that a lot of people saddle themselves with. And then because they don't necessarily know the answer, they don't do anything about it. And it is right they're a hamster on a wheel, they can't get out of the cycle. So how what kind of insight would you give somebody who is looking to hire their first employee? So my biggest advice here is kind of a little non traditional. But I believe that your first hires should be the things that you can outsource that the quality of the end result doesn't matter as much. And when you're building your brand, you know, it's so tempting to say, I'm going to hire somebody to do my social media because it's not really my thing. Or I'm going to hire someone to build my website because I, I can't build a website. I've never built a website before. You have to be doing those things because your brand is you. Your brand is the persona of your business and that your face has to be behind it. Your mission has to be behind it. Your heart has to be behind it. And so hire people to outsource the tasks that are taking up time in your day that could be better spent building your brand and learning these tools to be a good entrepreneur. Hire a housekeeper. Hire somebody to help with your kids. Hire somebody to do your laundry. Hire somebody to cook your dinner. Those things take up so much time in our day. And a a lot of those things bring us a lot of joy. And, you know, we want to be spending time with our kids. That's why we're an entrepreneur. But there's a balance. And if you're spending your day, you know, keeping up with the, the daily tasks you don't have time to say, okay, I need a two-hour block to sit down and figure out how to build a website. And that's all it will take. You need two hours and you will figure out how to build a website. Use Squarespace. But when you can outsource the other things, I think that is really going to be the most helpful. And then when you get to a point where you're like, okay, I've done that, but now my business is growing to the point where like, I can't do it all myself, hire a right hand. Hire somebody to work alongside you that you can say, hey, I'm while I'm doing this, you're going to be doing this. Don't outsource anything or say, here's my tasks and here's your tasks. Hire somebody who's going to make you more efficient, but also allow you to maintain that you know, quality control and maybe training them to see how you like things done so that they're going to be a more valuable team player than just handing things off. So how do you guys continually ensure that all of your ongoing ventures are successful and can sustain on their own? Because obviously you guys have to be involved in everything. But just like you said earlier, you cannot micromanage everything. There's not enough hours in the day for that. And nobody wants to do that. So what do you guys have? How often do you meet with your staff? Or are there different check-in periods, different days of the week where you guys make sure that each business is running the way that it should be? How does that flow work? We try to be really present and to really support our staff as best we can. We've tried like schedules like, okay, every Tuesday we're going to have a team meeting and then the cows get out and that goes to the wayside. So we found that it's actually more impactful if we just, whenever we have those blocks of time, we know we're checking in with them. So we're, we're at the restaurant, we're at the butcher shop, we're at the farm store almost every day. You know, they're all right in town, which is five miles away from us. And that was a big factor in this all working. When we were trying to build our butchery, 
it was going to be a lot easier to build it 45 minutes away where permitting, conditional use permits, water rights, it was all going to be easy. And we started that process and looked at each other like, we can't, one of us can't spend, you know, go check in over there every day, an hour and a half round trip. And we need to check in there every day. So we we actually can't build this here because 45 minutes away is going to be a limiting factor for us. So by having everything close, we jump in and out of every business almost every day just to check in with people. If anybody has any concerns they need to voice, they know we're an open book. And Brian and I get our hands dirty. You know, we are not the let's walk the plank and see how everybody's doing. We are like, oh, you're packing boxes. Let me jump in and help. Like, oh, where's this one going? Oh, the you know, is the dry ice working? Are we getting enough? That kind of quality control by being in it and not just asking your employees for reports. Same thing at the meat plant, the butchery. You know, we're on the floor with them. Brian's always checking the humidities and the dry agers and he'll be down there. He's the one who gets those texts at midnight if the temperatures are awry and he has to go check the condensers. We really try to be hands-on. And I think in the long run, that is more efficient because your employees know that you trust them, but they know that you'll be, you are a part of this operation too. And you care so much about that quality that you're in the weeds with them. So just spending that extra time solves a lot of the problems of management in general. Ooh, I love that. That was a Awesome way to end this. So we are going to go into the rapid fire round. These are questions. They're not necessarily rapid fire answers per se, but they're the questions that we ask all guests. The first one is, what is the best piece of advice, whether it is business or personal, that you've ever received? That is a great question. I think the best piece of advice I've ever received and that I like to share with all of my entrepreneur friends too is you can do it. You know, when people say, gosh, I have this great idea. I need somebody to help me. It's like, you don't need anybody. You can do it. And I tell my kids this too. You know, they're like, oh, I want to build, I want to have a loft bed in my room. I'm like, cool, you can do it. Go find some pallets and some screws and put it together. And they're like, you're right. I I can do it. I'm going to go do it. But it's such a simple phrase. But I think it's like a mantra worth repeating in your head whenever you get to that place like, oh, I really want to do this, but this is stopping me or I need somebody to help me. No, you don't need anybody. You can do it. Ooh, I like that. That is definitely a good one. And, and, you know, sometimes I find that the easiest, simplest things are the best reminders. That's true. Okay. Next question. If you could go to dinner with anybody, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, I love this question. Okay, I think this is the same for my husband and I both, and it would be Mike Rowe. (laughs) We're both like, can Mike Rowe just run for president? He, I just love the way that he is like, we need to get back to like the importance of trade jobs. And, you know, we need a whole shakeup in this country to reprioritize what's important. And he just is all about like working hard, sometimes playing hard and reaping the benefits from that. And I think we, we try to do the same thing, but he, he's always a big inspiration. We joke that if we could have dinner with anybody, it would be micro. Okay. So there, you guys who are listening are not going to be able to see the video that Mary and I can see, but I am laughing back here because I can tell you that of the probably 12 guests that we have asked this question to thus far, four of them have said micro. So no I way. don't know. I don't know what it is going to take to have some kind of of the West dinner party, and we're going to have oh to pool our God. allowance together and see if we can get Micro to come. But yes, <laughs> Micro for president. I'm telling you. 
<laughs> oh, that is so funny. That hey, really is. What is a quote that you lead your life by? I think I'd go back to what I said Brian's infamous quote is, which is nothing's easy, but it's always worth it. And, you know, if things were easy in life, they would not be as fulfilling as rewarding. We might be happier people <laughs> if things we just worked easily. But I think I get so much satisfaction out of that, you know, seeing a problem and figuring out how to fix it and just doing that together as a family and as a couple. You know, Brian and I work together every day. And I think we've never we are never feel closer than when we tackle a problem together and find a solution and just shake our heads looking at each other like, man, nothing's easy. But that's kind of, you know, that's kind of life. Nothing is easy, but it's always worth it. Oh, absolutely. Well, Mary, thank you so much for sharing yourself with us today. I know that you continually inspire me, and I have no doubts that you were able to do that to our listeners today. But for those of you who want to keep up with all five of the Marys and Brian, where can they find you online? We are on Instagram at Five Marys Farms. Our website is fivemarysfarms.com. Our meet is at Shop Five Marys. And the M5 Entrepreneurs Program has its own Instagram or is at m5entrepreneurs.com. If you go to any of those places, you can find most of the other ones as well. Perfect. Well, thank you so much today, Mary. And hey, if you are someone who is listening and you found a nugget of wisdom, which I know that you did in this episode, do us a favor, take a screenshot of it, drop it in your stories, tag Mary, tag of the West. Tell us what your favorite part of today was. And then don't forget to follow or subscribe to the show if you haven't already. That way that you never miss an episode. And we will see you guys next week. If you loved this episode, do us a favor and share it with someone else who might find just as much value in it as you did. We're on a mission to continue to grow and strengthen the future of agriculture and Western industries, and you spreading the word helps us make more of a positive impact. It also makes a big difference when you take a minute to go rate and review the show. We can't thank you enough for listening, for sharing, and for loving Ag and Western as much as we do. We'll see you back here for our next episode.